0: the CCP is admired by at least a segment of the American elite. Perhaps some of the 400 who were at that dinner admire the CCP for its efficiency, as Bill Gates has said.
1: In this episode, Bradley Thayer exposes the workings of the Chinese regime's political and ideological warfare. He's the director of China policy at the Center for Security Policy and author of Understanding the China Threat. What makes TikTok a particularly potent weapon?
0: What you have done is just given the Communist Party of China access to you and the ability to influence you in elections, the ability to influence you in your other political behavior, in your beliefs, and how you see the rest of the world. And how should the U.S. approach the Chinese regime? If we recognize the nature of the threat and its tremendous vulnerabilities and exploit those vulnerabilities, we can defeat them just as we did the Soviet Union.
1: This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Jan Jekielek. Dr. Bradley Thayer, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: It's my pleasure to join you.
1: Over the last few years, we've been exposed to a lot of very, very good information. I'm talking about the American public, yet I'm not convinced that we're behaving as a society. And when I say that, I'm talking about the West, not just the U.S. We're not really behaving in a way that would suggest that there's a serious threat. And let's start there. What do you think about that?
0: We're not. I agree with you. Uh, we're not treating the Chinese Communist Party as the enemy that they are uh, of uh, Western civilization, of uh, governments around the world, and of uh, of uh, people uh, also within China and around the world. We're not treating though them as the enemy, but instead attempting to sustain the engagement school, attempting to ensure that by trade with them, by investment uh, in the Chinese Communist Party, by making them stronger and allowing them to remain uh, in power, uh, that we'll be able to change their behavior and they'll become more benign rather than the tyrannical government uh, that they are. So it's a deep problem. It has penetrated the Pentagon, the intelligence community, every facet of uh, the U.S. government, of uh, Congress, of our media. Uh, of universities, business communities of course, uh, Wall Street, Silicon Valley. Uh, it's a profound problem and it must change. The survival of the United States depends on recognizing that the CCP is the enemy of the United States uh, and of American values, of American principles, and it must be seen as such.
1: I really appreciate how you took, made the point of distinguishing between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people. Um, Perhaps one of the most powerful pieces of propaganda, and there are a great many powerful pieces of prop- the propaganda that the CCP employs, is to conflate itself with the Chinese people. It always says, you're going to hurt the feelings of the Chinese people if you do X or y, mm-hmm. you know, and so forth. And I, I mean, and that I think we've internalized to some extent. certainly the Chinese people have internalized. Um, and you talk about in your book how you know, the Chinese people aren't necessarily going to go along with the CCP. What portion of the population, do you have a sense of this, is actually, clearly can delineate itself against the CCP?
0: Well, the party says it has about 96 million members. And let's assume that that's true, and let's assume that a big chunk of those 96 million are there just because they have to be for reasons of career. Uh, So perhaps half of uh, those individuals are, are diehards. But sadly, to run a tyranny, you only need a small number of individuals who are willing to act ruthlessly. Uh, to impose uh, their, their vision, their tyranny, uh, on, on the society. Your point is an excellent one. The CCP does its utmost to link itself to the Chinese people, but also to the greatness of Chinese civilization, which of course is incoherent. The CCP is a communist government, it is a Leninist government. Leninism has nothing to do with China or Chinese civilization. It's a Western import. Uh, the CCP, and it should be seen as such. It's incoherent uh, in terms of Chinese history, and it was able to come to power because of Joseph Stalin and the communist uh, international. And so, um, and it stays in power as a result of the tyranny of Mao uh, and uh, subsequent uh, leaders. Uh, And so when we look at that, we need to understand it, that this is a Western artifact imposed and holding back the greatness of Chinese civilization and uh, the uh, Chinese people. And so we need to recognize as well that um, they're not allowing votes, right? They're not allowing essentially any type of uh, feedback in terms of how popular are they? uh, How uh, much support do they generate? Do they actually possess among uh, the Chinese people? And when you look at it and particularly look at the example of Taiwan, it's quite clear that the Chinese people would be far better off uh, without uh, the tyranny of the Chinese Communist Party
1: well so let me let me put it this way looking at the last three or four years in this country and frankly in the West right I've been alerted or I guess I understand at the deeper level the power of propaganda I didn't grasp I didn't grasp it. And you know, of course, in these communist societies, especially communist China, the level of um, propaganda and indoctrin- deliberate indoctrination is incredibly high, and some people are susceptible to that. How prominent do you think in Chinese people's minds based on what you know? And I know, for example, your co-author has you know deep insight into mm. into the Chinese Indeed, population, yes. right? How many people are actually free in some way of that ideology, right, really?
0: The CCP is well aware of the importance, as you identified, uh, of ideology of indoctrination. Uh, but it also is; uh, it has to be forced upon the Chinese people because it is incoherent, uh, really, in the Chinese uh, circumstance and the Chinese uh, condition. I think it's also, too, uh, the tools that they use. One of our interviewees said that, uh, in essence, um, the uh, high technology, the fact that it is a surveillance superpower, uh, the CCP has incredible tools uh, to surveil you, means that it was high technology that saved the CCP's behind, right? In essence, he put it in more colorful terms, but that's the essence of it. Uh, It is the fact of social credit score, the fact that they monitor you constantly puts you in a state of perpetual fear. You're in that Foucaultian, uh, the the panopticon that Foucault identified, right? And we're we're policing ourselves because we believe we're always monitored. And so that has a very powerful effect. You're not going along uh, with it for reasons of ideology. You're mouthing the terminology in a way that Orwell identified uh, for example, or that we are very familiar, of course, with the Soviet experience, of course, and Soviet uh, uh, tyranny. you going through the motions uh, but you do not believe it. You're being educated in that way but you do not uh, believe it. And that's a profound vulnerability of the party uh, that could be very usefully exploited uh, by the diaspora uh, and others as well. But couple that with uh, advanced technology. Uh, AI and the fact that they can surveil you uh, 24-7, uh, and they can and are not shy about using their tools against your family members, right, it gives them uh, very powerful mechanisms to stay uh, in power, which is why we suggest in the book a critical factor for freeing the Chinese people from the tyranny of the CCP is to find a way to break permanently the Great Firewall to be able to ensure that the Chinese people are able to liberate themselves from the surveillance state and access, if you will, the global uh, internet.
1: Some people are just saying China is a competitor under the Chinese Communist Party. It's not an enemy. And You say it's the most important enemy that seeks to kill us, if I recall from our last interview, you actually said. So you know, show me the most powerful, compelling pieces of evidence you have of this.
0: Well, the most powerful uh, piece of evidence is communist thoughts, to understand uh, the role of the West, the role of the United States in communist thought, from Lenin through Stalin to Mao uh, to today. Xi Jinping is a communist, and he takes that ideology very seriously. This is a ruler who takes ideas, communist ideas in particular, uh, very seriously, and he sees the world, as we document in the book, through that lens. Uh, which has shaped him from the time he was a young man, both profiting as also suffering uh, from uh, Mao's uh, tyranny uh, until today. So for communism, the West is the barrier that needs uh, to be destroyed. If the United States in particular were eliminated, China would be able, the PRC would be able to get what it wants uh, from uh, the rest of the world. So if you understand communist thought, I think that's very important. Related to that is what he says. If you look at essentially what is coming out of Xi Jinping's mouth, the declaration of people's war in 2019 against the United States, asking the Chinese people to steel themselves for a period of war, a period of great suffering against the United States. Difficult times are coming, which has only been reinforced uh, since then. And then that would be fine if China were weak. Uh, Lots of folks might Hate the United States, but if they don't have the power, that's a separate issue. China has the power because it has grown from 1990, about 1.6% of world gross domestic product, to, say, pre-COVID, about 19% of world gross domestic product. So we've seen that wealth translate into military power, diplomatic might, belt and road initiative, uh, increasing technology, space exploration, uh ideological warfare and political warfare employed very effectively against the West and other states uh, in international politics. So here's a group that is telling you they want to kill you, you're the barrier, uh, they're going to supplant you, undermine you, and replace you. And then the leader himself uh, is saying that time and uh, time again, and they have the might, uh, the muscle, uh, to begin to be able uh, to do that if the United States does not respond.
1: You just reminded me of a recent piece that you published in the Epoch Times, uh, talking about TikTok, and you uh, you say TikTok, in a way, plays the role that these soviet's the workers groups did in Tsarist Russia that were actually used by the Bolsheviks then to essentially as the sort of centers of thuggery to enact the revolution, right? So so that that's fascinating. Tell me about that.
0: Well, sure. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party is a student of communist thought and of communist history, and Soviets play a very important role in communist history. A Soviet was created by the Tsar in the wake of the 1905 revolution, and a Soviet was a workingmen's council. We can think of them as a union, uh, where there's an economic role. There's also a role in civil society, and there's a political role. The Tsar welcomed them. He saw them as a sign of progress. Now, the Soviets were getting, in essence, uh, the Russians were getting uh, unions, Uh, And that was a sign of becoming increasingly Western, increasingly modern. The Bolsheviks recognized, as well as other communist groups and socialist groups, that those could be, that was a gift. Uh, They could be radicalized and turned against the Tsar's government. And in fact, they were very quickly radicalized and turned against the Tsar's and played a key role in the October uh, 1917 revolution. So what is a Soviet in this sense? What it is, it's something that you welcome. And you see it as a sign of progress, and even innocuous, like TikTok, right? It's welcomed. 75 million Americans at least uh, have downloaded it, and it's seen as something which is innocuous. But, of course, it's there to undermine you. Uh, It's a tool to be used uh, against you by uh, the CCP. And so what I suggest in the piece that we need to see it as such, right? What you have done is just given the Communist Party of China access to you and the ability to influence you in elections, the ability to influence you in your political behavior and your beliefs and how you see the rest of the world, but also uh, to recognize that we need to do that to the PRC. We need to do that to the Chinese Communist Party. We need to find either a technological, if you will, TikTok in reverse to do that against the CCP or a social. TikTok in reverse, like the the Soviets were something that they would welcome uh, and that would be seen as benign. They could the but that could be used to undermine them. Well, I mean, they're becoming in a sense uh,
1: quite isolationist, right? More and more isolationist. Like for example, right? We talk about decoupling, but uh, w- what I'm observing is the CCP under Xi Jinping is decoupling on its own terms. Decoupling the things that are beneficial to it to decouple and not decoupling. The things that are not. And I think they're perhaps because of this paranoia that you just talked about a little earlier, they're not really ready to take on any sort of Soviets as you describe them, right? In fact, they're expecting that because that's exactly what they would do. Indeed, right?
0: right? They are artful when it comes to uh, political warfare. But there are avenues into their society, into their, uh, into their culture. Uh, there are avenues that the West provides in terms of technology or finance that do give us uh, the ability, working with the diaspora, working with individuals uh, within Chinese society, or working with groups that rightfully tout the greatness of Chinese civilization in religious thought and philosophy and aesthetics and so many other areas. There are many avenues actually into uh, the society that might be usefully employed to show that the CCP is a Western artifact, it has nothing to do with Chinese history. It is an illegitimate government and should be seen as such.
1: Well, except that we, and when I say we, I would say, you know uh, the folks that govern this country, um, we need to actually believe that as opposed to perhaps, you know, admire. The CCP or China under the CCP for its great efficiency or for its ability to, you know, tamp down on potentially problematic elements like those Muslims in Xinjiang. You know, who knows what they're really doing? You know, just I, I of course I'm being incredibly glib, right? The reality is this is, a, you know, creates a totalitarian reality where any my you know with minority views, doesn't matter how valid, can be you know snuffed out, right? But there's there's a kind of a weird obsession that I'm observing in the world among Western thought with control, right? So I'm like I'm not so convinced that everything you describe, which speaks to my heart moments ago, is something that that even intellectually a lot of people who are over there, for example, in the you know China, American mm. Embassy mm. in Beijing, mm. doling out. You know, whatever new technologies the U.S. government has developed daily are are thinking. I don't think they're thinking that way.
0: I don't think that they are uh, either, and it's a profound problem. We started the the discussion with the observation that we don't see them as the enemy, that the the U.S. government may say certain things and publish certain documents by the Pentagon uh, or certain commissions uh, that call attention to this, but the U.S. government's not acting that way. Uh, They're not, and neither is U.S. society uh, treating them as as the enemy. So it gets to that fundamental problem. Why are we not seeing them as an enemy? And I think you're very usefully suggesting that it's because they're admired. Uh, The CCP is admired by at least a segment of the American elite. Perhaps some of the 400 who were at that dinner admire the CCP for its efficiency, as Bill Gates has said. Uh, And for uh, other issues, Uh, it's able to, it doesn't have union problems, I suppose, would be another reason why they, uh, the 400, uh, look admiringly uh, upon it. So these individuals do not understand communism and they do not understand the nature uh, of uh, the threat. And, And why, in one sense, why should they? Because they've never been challenged to. The government has never challenged them or forced them to act like Americans rather than acting uh, uh, like a a CEO uh, who's trying to maximize return uh, to shareholders. And until we see that, in fact, they need to identify the enemy as such and act accordingly, uh, we're going to have that profound disconnect, which hurts us. It hobbles us. It fetters us in a way that we're not able to mobilize and direct ourselves uh, at a time of tremendous vulnerability that the CCP faces.
1: So reading your book... Um, you offer a whole suite of, I think, very thoughtful uh, solutions, right and a lot of them, though to me, they seem like they would require that understanding before. Do, do, do you see what i 'm saying? Yeah. When I read your book, I imagine you know you're, there's some portion of America. You know believes in fundamentally in American values believes in the Constitution believes that America with all its myriad of problems today is fundamentally good right and that it's a system that deserves to live on and it's actually a beacon of hope in the world it's the shining city on the hill if I may right um, but unfortunately right our a lot of our institutions of education of, where uh, you know power is exercised, and so forth have been captured by people who think differently, and maybe you're happy to, you know, have a so-called managed decline. You know, we've heard that term before, right? And and maybe even wonder if the, you know, this this system, which is frankly the heart of CCP propaganda, as you point out really well, is that no, our our system is actually better. That we we should rule, frankly, the world with our system, right? Because it's so great. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: Um, We can, empirically, we can contrast the number of allies the CCP has versus the number of allies the U.S. has, right? I mean, the CCP's existence is defined by exploitation of people and the environment. Uh, It it doesn't have friends in international politics. I mean, it buys Pakistan, it buys Cambodia and other states, uh, North Korea. Uh, and Russia. Uh, But the United States has about 84 allies. The United States is an open society. The United States is a society which has been able to transform itself. It went through civil rights revolutions, a women's rights uh, movement. Uh, It has uh, remade itself uh, as a society which is uh, far more equitable, far more democratic, and uh, far more uh, in accord with universal political principles which resonate around the world, in contrast to the tyranny of the CCP. Nobody is trying to get into China. Everybody is trying to get into the United States, right? By the tens of millions, and it would be hundreds of millions uh, if they uh, could. People are trying to flee uh, communist China. Uh, they again, empirically, people vote with their feet, as Brett identified, right? Indeed, they do vote with their feet. Uh, and where are they going? The US is a far better ally. Uh, it treats its, ally, its partners and its allies in a far more equitable way than the ruthless, essentially exploitation of uh, communist China. So let's look at that empirically and let's size it up, right? Uh, and we can see that the United States objectively as well as subjectively, ideologically, uh, and in terms of universal values for men, for women, uh, right for the rights of um, uh, sexual minorities and so many other uh, uh, groups are far better treated in the United States. It also yeah. Western civilization, right? it's the, the beauty, it, it is the art of Western civilization, it is the science, it is the approach, or the scientific approach and if you will of intellectual thought that the United States is a part of also which has contributed to uh, its greatness uh, and which um, serves in direct contrast to the society uh, that the uh, Chinese Communist Party created.
1: It seems, you know, you're sharing this, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is so this is so obvious, right? But isn't this is the power of political warfare, right?
0: Uh, it is, and that um, the great successes of the United States and of the West uh, in general can be denigrated, can be minimized, or they can essentially not be addressed uh, at all and the warts of the civilization, right? I mean, it's something that what we need to have, I think, in our society is that Cromwellian approach, warts and all. Yes, you can pay attention to the mistakes that we've made, but if you look at the portrait uh, in general, uh, they're insignificant in contrast to what has been provided uh, to the American people, to uh, the world uh, broadly by the international order that the United States and Great Britain created uh, in the wake of World War II that successfully fought a Cold War and then seemed to have lost its way uh, after the defeat of the Soviet Union and, let us hope, is able to refine uh, uh, – to find once again the path uh, to the defeat of uh, the Communist Party of China. It is – they're artful at political warfare and they're uh, uh, very useful in working with individuals within the United States. Uh, to try to introduce, if you will, um, an intellectual Alzheimer's or amnesia uh, in uh, the United States and among our elite. and perversely, uh, the American elite seem to see uh, that the dictator of uh, the dictatorship of Xi Jinping is something to be emulated. And the, this positive question of the 21st century is going to be this issue. It's going to be whether tyranny wins uh, is, China able to make its mark and sustain it on the rest of the world? Or is freedom, uh, uh, as, a, as events by the American system and American power, uh, going to win the day? Uh, and as we've suggested, of course, it's not clear uh, what the answer to that question is.
1: Well, and it's also not clear because the West itself is toying with these ideologies in your book, you talk a lot about what uh, you know uh, Chinese Chinese under the communist Chinese Communist Party world order would look like because we already can see what that would look like by how they operate. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Well, we we can see it, and it's defined by the self-interest of the Chinese Communist Party. The world order that they're seeking to create, and that they are, while being a part of the Western order, they're also making their own uh, international institutions. And those are institutions, approaches, which only favor and heavily favor, of course, uh, uh, the PRC's uh, interest, whether that's exploitation in Pakistan or whether that is the extraction of uh, oil energy resources from Sudan and, uh, and um, uh, uh, essentially uh, elsewhere, uh, whether that is a raw exploitation, buying, in essence, uh, political influence in the Solomon Islands in uh, so many other uh, places. Um, people who come to get to know the CCP don't like it. it. was Guy Scott, a Zambian politician, who said in 2006 in an interview to The Guardian, uh, we've had bad people before. The whites are bad, we're bad. Uh, the Indians were worse, but the Chinese are worst of all in terms of the raw exploitation of Zambia. Uh, and uh, his encounter with the CCP was not uh, a pleasant one. Now, to a degree, they offset that by buying, right? They offset that by buying local elites uh, and rewarding uh, local elites. But people of goodwill, again, around the world can see this and can see that this is not a society uh, which uh, is in any way egalitarian, in any way is equitable. Yeah. You could look at the experience of Africans in in, um, in the PRC and, and uh, their experiences and to see that it is not... Uh, uh, or. Uh, when essentially Chinese inter, uh, uh, entities traveled in Africa or are working uh, in Africa, the experience is almost without exception an unhappy one. The party has a very strong hierarchy, a very clear hierarchy, uh, and people with darker complexion are far lower uh, down that hierarchy than what the uh, party uh, envisions. And again, that does not receive the attention uh, that it should. Uh, likewise, in essentially issues of uh, women's rights. Uh, so, we could go down, of course, very important I- uh, uh, issues um, that affect people around the world, and we can see that the uh, People's Republic of China is found wa- wanting in all of those categories.
1: You know, one of the things that you highlight repeatedly, and this is somewhat rare, actually, I think, in the literature around. China and under the Chinese Communist Party that I've read is understanding the nature of communism, right? To understand the China threat. If you miss the nature of communism or somehow don't want to know or somehow assume, oh, they're like us, you know, that's a mistake. So explain that to me.
0: Certainly. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party is a threat, really, for uh, three different levels of analysis or types of explanations. First, Xi Jinping is a threat, right? We can think about police investigating a car crash. They look at the driver. If the driver is okay, they look at the car. And if the car is okay, they look at the road conditions. Well, looking at the driver, Xi Jinping, we see great danger. Here's an individual who's paranoid and is leading the CCP in a very dangerous direction, which is going to have immediate negative consequences for the rest of the world, Taiwan, Japan, U.S. allies, partners around the world. Driver is a problem. Xi Jinping is a major problem. But secondly, the car. The car is the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, it is a Soviet knockoff. It's a danger, a threat to everything on the road, pedestrians, dogs, cats, other cars, other vehicles. Uh, It is a very dangerous vehicle, and any driver of it is going to be hamstrung, is going to be hindered by the car uh, uh, he's uh, driving. That ideology of communism essentially is the essence uh, of uh, that automobile. It's caused car crashes everywhere it's been tried. Anybody who's gotten into it has wrecked, Uh, whether it was the Soviets or North Korea who can go around the world. It's always failed. Uh, It's a disaster. Then, Jan, there's also the road conditions. Uh, And if the road condition is Interstate Interstate 80 in Iowa, it's flat, it's straight, uh, and it's quite easy to drive. Uh, That's one thing. But if you're dealing with hairpin curves in in a sleet, in whiteout conditions, or in fog, very different road conditions. Part of the problem that we faced is that young people, so many Americans think that International politics is only driving on Interstate 80 in Iowa. Mm -hmm. It's only easy. And the car is a great car, and drivers are quite good. They don't understand that, in fact, uh, road conditions can be dire uh, and will easily change uh, and will cause disasters. So when we're looking at this issue, we can say there's profound trouble that we face, and that problem is only going to get worse. So we have major problems, not understanding the car. Xi Jinping could die today. He could die tomorrow. But the car is still going to uh, determine a lot of the driver's uh, behavior and make the driver uh, really a very dangerous one.
1: What is it about communism or communist thought, communist ideology that makes it, as you said, you know, fail catastrophically every time it's attempted?
0: Because it's the negation of humanity. Uh, It's the negation of what people uh, see. It's uh, an absolute control over uh, others which people chafe uh, at that uh, type of system. So uh, it's also dangerous because it seems appealing in terms of the way it was envisioned and in terms of uh, many of its adherents. It seems to lead you to a better world. It also seems to be scientific, which seems to attract a lot of intellectuals. Uh, and um, that uh, the, you're on a path, you can study society and you can move uh, society in a certain direction. Uh, and yes, you're gonna break eggs, uh, but you're gonna get an omelet uh, at the end of the day. Of course, the omelet never shows up, but there are so many tens of millions, hundreds of millions of uh, broken eggs killed individuals in, in uh, uh, just the tremendous uh, human rights abuses uh, without parallel. So communism is uh, an anti-humanitarian uh, ideology. It suppresses human freedom. It does not permit a human freedom. Uh, and uh, because it is tyrannical uh, and negation of, of the human spirit, uh, of the human condition, uh, it will fail wherever uh, it is tried. It can last longer if it's subsidized. If Wall Street will invest in it, then it will last longer. Um, but if it is cut off, uh, then it will collapse uh, sooner.
1: You know, as you're talking, I've been thinking a lot about the First Amendment. We've been having a lot of you know, discussions uh, in America, again, in the West, about the value of free speech and so forth. But thinking about the First Amendment, right, of course you have speech, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, or freedom of conscience, and of course, freedom of the press. Right? So the CCP, I can't help but thinking, right, the CCP is antithetical, or communism in general is antithetical to all of these things. It hates them. Yes. Not to mention the Second Amendment definitely hates that.
0: It it does indeed. It it hates uh, any aspect of uh, liberty, any aspect of freedom, it seeks to destroy. Uh, It it, it seeks absolute control uh, and absolute tyranny over anyone operating uh, within that uh, uh, system. And so, um, despite its intellectual appeal uh, to so many, of course, over decades, many decades, looking at it and empirically examining it, it is the negation of every liberty that American holds deals and the political culture that we have formulated, uh, of course, uh, in the United States. Um, And it is undergoing a unique form of challenges. Communism is not something which exists only in China. It's also present in the U.S. And the U.S. is undergoing a tremendous ideological upheaval presently between political liberalism, traditional uh, ideology of uh, the United States, versus progressivism, which is a form of of, uh, communist thought. And so the struggle between the CCP and the United States takes place in an international realm, to be sure, but it also has a domestic uh, role to play as well, where uh, individuals who are sympathetic to communism operating within uh, the United States, they're free to have the political beliefs that they want and to express them, but they also recognize, as Lenin observed, that they're useful idiots, right? They're serving uh, an odious and tyrannical uh, power. Uh, that if it wins, uh, if Beijing is able to uh, set the rules, norms, principles, uh, behavior of the 21st century, uh, those individuals again will rue the day. Uh, of course, that'll be cold comfort, but they'll recognize, of course, uh, their folly. Well, Dr.
1: Thayer, uh, this has been a fascinating discussion for me. Uh, any final thoughts as we finish?
0: Well, a final thought is that we're going to win. Despite the problems that we have, uh, there's enough, if you will, strength in American society, the values that we possess, and the ideology that we hold. Jan, as we stress in the book, it is an ideological struggle. And our ideology is infinitely better, far superior to the ideology of the Chinese uh, Communist Party. And that serves to explain why we fight, and why we should fight, and why we will win. So we need to have that confidence to recognize that if we steal ourselves, if we recognize the nature of the threat and its tremendous vulnerabilities, uh, and exploit those vulnerabilities, we can defeat them just as we did the Soviet Union. Well, Dr.
1: Bradley Thayer, it's such a pleasure to have had you on.
0: Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you all for joining Dr. Bradley Thayer and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kallek.